Hello and welcome to the Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph. I'm feeling on it. And joining me are Ricky and Milo. Hello, gents. Hi, Steph. Evening, Steph. Before I get into this, can I just, can I, and, and this is the point, uh, Milo, where you might want to get your notebook out. Yeah, this could, okay. uh, might need the axe. Did any of you happen to catch the MLS um, game uh, over the weekend? It was on Saturday, where LAFC played in Real Salt Lake, our very own Hugo Lloris in goal. Um, they lost 3-0. Uh, to Real Salt Lake. It was in Sandy, Utah. But the game was postponed twice because of heavy wind, then lightning. And then did you see what the game ended up being played on? It was literally mm-hmm. played on two feet of snow. <laughs> no, I haven't seen this. I expected someone to come out and stick a carrot where Larissa's nose was and uh, <laughs> a couple of, a couple of bits of coal down his, uh, down it his top. It was shocking. It was shocking. They said that the, uh, they said there was ice forming on his beard at one point and snow piling <laughs> on his head. I mean, my word! This guy was playing in a World Cup final less than two years ago, and now he's playing in an empty stadium in Utah in the middle of a snowstorm. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, absolutely tomfoolery. Was he doing the old Wim Hof breath to try and stay alive? Was he? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. I didn't see the game. I saw the photos of him completely frozen. But do they have orange balls in MLS? Yeah, yeah they did. They, they yeah, do have an, yeah. uh, That's good. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, and they had to scratch out the lines of the penalty box for free kicks. I mean, it was that thick. We're not just talking about a light dusting of snow. I mean, this was like, a, it looked like at least a foot thick. It was un, unbelievable. And those officials have made the decision two or three times to continue with the game. So I just, I thought I'd start the pod with a, just a little appreciation for what poor old Hugo's going through. Our, our, our beloved Hugo is, is, is having to play in snowstorms. <laughs> I don't know. If you haven't seen it out there and this is all seems like, you know, mindless waffle, it's really something. Check it out on YouTube. I, I, I guarantee you will be startled. Anyway. <laughs> well, chaps, we are at that point of the season where the grind is on. Uh, the runners and riders are starting to show their true colours. Um, you know, there's injuries, fatigue, sheer amount of football being played, really. I think these key battles are isolating themselves across the league, right? I mean, they're happening all over. Um, we are in the thick of a battle for fourth place with Aston Villa. Of course, we play them next week. We have that game in hand, but it does make every game even more important and, you know, I don't know if you guys heard this, but there were whispers uh, before yesterday's match against Crystal Palace that, you know, it was a must-win game, right? Did you hear that? I certainly was starting to hear those. Um, I think it actually was, right? they all are. Yeah, Yeah, they all are at the moment, I think. You've got to keep going. The coattails of the ones above us. That's right. It is. That's right. I like that. You're right. But it was a must-win game, and we actually did. Uh, We won it 3-1. But there's a lot more more to it than meets the scoreline. And we will be diving in between us and finding that more for you all, as well as looking back a week that was, which... um, I think we'd all agree somewhat amplified how increasingly low priority supporters seem to be to those running football clubs and football leagues and whatever. Yeah, no, maybe we don't agree. We'll get into it. We'll discuss it. Anyway, (laughs) Crystal Palace. In a nutshell, gentlemen, what did you think of our performance? Um, It's a better team throughout, dominating in terms of possession and territory. Went behind to a wonder strike, found it hard to break down a well-organised and stubborn low block but came out rightful winners through continuing to plug and probe away, looking for gaps and taking a chance when it came and then blew away inferior opponent with a powerful 10-minute spell. 
Oh, shit, sorry. I've picked up my notes on the Manchester derby. Anyway, it was a bit like that. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the Manchester funny derby. you mentioned that, because this no, because is what I was thinking. <laughs> well, I was about to say, that sounded like an, a John Cooper Clark uh, <laughs> set of lyrics, didn't it? It sounded like classic John Cooper Clark. It's like, so the Mancunian theme was... Like, the old, yeah. yeah tw- <laughs> But you were God. right, actually. There was many similarities between those two games, I think, you know, yes. stylistically and tactically and everything. Yes. But um, uh, what can I add to that, really? I think, as I mean, I was there yesterday, and I think we all kind of thought that this is just kind of another um, another game where we knew what was going to happen, and it was playing out before our eyes with the whole low block thing. Palace came and played the way we thought they were going to play. In fact, Palace came and played pretty much like Roy would have played if he had turned up, to be honest. Um, you know, I know we've got a new manager and everything, but um, yeah, first half, it was a bit slow. I don't think there was much fast link up play at that point. We um, we had quite a good spell after 30 minutes for about 10 minutes. Um, most of our better chances came really with where we actually, we were in transition when we nicked the ball off them. I mean, that the one classic chance was um, the Werner chance that came and went. Um, that was, you know, a massive miss for us at that point, because I think we all think that um, getting a goal ahead in these games is important, considering the tactics of the other team. Uh, and then second half, when they scored, I was just, I generally thought, they can't. They can't. They can't leave this ground with three points on the back of a free kick because that's literally all they had for the whole game at that point. But um, I think overall, I think I think we get a bit kind of entrenched in these kind of games and being a bit critical of them. But overall, I mean, no one could objectively say we played badly. We completely dominated possession. Um, they offered very little. If anything, I mean, years ago, we'd have thought this was an amazing performance, you know, when you've had so much control of a game, you know, how times change. But, um, and I don't think really there was any bad performances from any of our players. So that's how I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a day that patience was always going to be necessary, and it was a case of whether you felt that their patience would be rewarded. And quite frankly, the way the game r- rolled, I thought it was inevitable that Crystal Palace would would, if not crumble, certainly give way because you can't defend like that for ninety five a hundred minutes with their caliber of defenders. It just doesn't, or well, or team. It's not just the defenders that defend. So. I thought it was somewhat inevitable in the end. It was always just about how we were going to get there. And we did find a way. And we are going to discuss that. We are going to get into that. So, yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, good. Standard performance, at the, you know, the minimum that I would expect, really, from, from us at this point and at this stage of the season. So, um, But let's look at that team selection, chaps. Werner comes in for Richie, Benton Curran for Saar, Udoggi in for Davis. There you go. <laughs> um, I think... <laughs> I think obviously Richie's been injured now, so that gave us a chance to put some back through the middle because I think that was probably a little kind of awkward kind of decision in Angie's mind from previous weeks, what we was going to do when Sun came back. I think the midfield three was, well, I think Angie's, I think Angie said months ago, didn't he, before all the injuries set in that he was kind of dreaming of hopefully seeing them three together. Um, a bit unlucky for Saar, but I think as been said in the post-match I think he's been suffering from a slight injury in that. And not only that, I mean, I think he was talking about this last week, Steph, when the geography, geography of the pitch has like shrunk down to a third of it, then the kind of back and forth runs of Saar aren't, you know, aren't so valuable in those kind of games. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bad thing that Saar missed out. I think it's sad that he missed out because I think he's been such a great form player, but um, other people deserve their chance as well, I think. I think that's probably Milo's observation there, not mine, but uh, I appreciate the, <laughs> I appreciate you taking me with it. But I, know, is... I think last week you did say about the geography, the, you, you were talking about the, the pitch being... That was, with, that, was with, that was with Basuma and Benteke and, and the, after mm-hmm. the Wolves game, wasn't it? Um, was the was the talk then? I think that was I think it was Gareth. So, I think it was Gareth yeah. saying that um, whether uh, Basuma's 
uh, more limited passing over Benton Kerr was a luxury when you're camped out on 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 the other side, on, on, the, on top of the other yeah. team. But uh, we can we can maybe pick that up later on in discussions. But sure. yeah, I, I mean, I think I think actually um, on Saar over Benton Kerr, I think in a game like this when you're going to get eighty percent of the possession, I think maybe having the player who's better on the ball and provides more of a goal threat is probably the right decision. I think Saar is more useful against probably better teams where you want more ground covered and you want to be able to press and close down and snub out or snuff out attacks early. Um, but it's a nice problem to have. I think Ange said when the players came back from AFCON that he's got a really nice selection and you know different skill sets against the you know through the midfield, and he can chop and change based on uh, what you know what's required. Yeah, plus it, and again, it also I agree with all of that, and I think it also when you have Saar on the bench in moments like this, when you do have a team that's you know been defending yeah. that hard and maybe getting tired, to be able to bring that that wall of energy in on is is very helpful. So I think I think that's exactly right. If you've been chasing the ball for what you know, 70, 80 minutes, which was you know what Palace have been doing, you know you've been pre- impressed with the intensity to be pressed uh, press them. And then you turn over and you see Sam getting off the bench. You must be like, fucking hell, you know, because <laughs> exactly. you know he can he can run for fun. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a good option to have. How, how did we feel Rodrigo did yesterday? Do, do you see flashes of him finding his old form? Do you think it's too early to say? Um, do you think a game like this is fair to evaluate? Because essentially, you know, it's it's sort of like you've got a chisel against the wall and you're trying to pick your way through, right? So I thought he had a pretty decent performance. It was his, his best. I think recently, I think yeah, uh, the mistake for giving away the free kick aside, uh, which was a bit of a brain fart, but I think he's always been a player who's had a mistake or a lapse of concentration in him. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I don't fancy him at, at six. Um, you know, as, as Ricky just said, um, I think this is a midfield we're probably more likely, we're, we're likely to see in games where we're dominating possession. I think we'll probably see this again, um, you know, against a low block team. Um, I think the other thing, you know, he tired as the game went on. So, you know, we, we, he was pulled off, you know, pretty much on the hour. Um, since he's come back from injury in the Premier League, the Man United games, the only one where he's lasted the full 90 and coming off around the hour mark is, is pretty standard now. And I think that kind of plays into kind of where he is in his recovery. And I think we've probably got to be realistic that we're not going to see the best of him until next season. He's come back yeah. from a very, very lengthy, um, lay off the, you know, the, the original injury he had is one that takes players a while to recover from. And I think it's remarkable that he's playing as much as he is. Um, but you know, I think we've got to, yeah, got to bear in mind there's probably more to come, but we're not, probably not going to see that until next season. I think 100% you have to give him some leeway when you're coming back from, well, one in, one long injury, like a really, what would be considered a bad one for a footballer, and obviously the secondary injury, injury as well. I think there's definitely green shoots on the creativity side from Benson Core on Saturday. He, he played some really, really clever balls, and he was looking to do that a lot more, I think, as well. I think being there with Basuma, he probably has a little bit more confidence that he knows where Basuma's going to be all the time, even if he does push on a bit or do those kind of things. Um but it's, yeah, it's great to have him back, though. I think, you know, we saw when he put Werner through that he's got that kind of quality to do that, um, spot that, you know, in an instant. Uh, and you're always going to get the work weight from Bentacore. So I think he's he's definitely a player with, I think, probably the widest range of skill sets for a midfielder that we've got, really, I think. I've got, I've got to ask you both. <clears throat> do you think that sometimes we're a little too cautious when we're in these patterns, when we're dominating games with that much possession and 
I know that there's an Eze on the other side of the pitch, and I know that there's a couple of players that aren't, you know, slouches when it comes to being able to run. But we do have cheat mode in Van de Ven, and we'll be talking about the central defence later. We do have Van de Ven back there. Do you think that sometimes we don't take enough chances, that we do play too many lateral balls at that moment? I saw Werner make several very early moves and Destiny just chose not to not to look for him, chose not to either try and play it over the top for him or, or find the channel. Uh, I, I, I felt that maybe, maybe, and this might be harsh and I'm trying not to, uh, to, to you know, pick on Basuma at all, but maybe he could have been a little more adventurous carrying the ball when he was there. I mean, I, you know, are, are we looking, are we just a little too cautious at these moments or not? Um, well, I think my first input into that is I was going to say when I think of how we play overall, I think one of the things we're not really doing, or they seem non-existent at the moment, and I think it is a missed opportunity, is just our fast starts, and whether that's at the start of it, and that's the start of either half, and we haven't done that for ages, and, and the thing that's slightly annoying is that we are capable of that. Earlier in the season, we had some amazing games where we started straight out the blocks, and that would include what you're saying, Steph, fast passing, quick interlinking, and that kind of thing to keep, because I think even if a T, even if your opposition has prepared all week in their kind of training ground and they've done it in their kind of video analysis of those the one per time you can catch them is literally at the start of the game because if you don't start fast it's almost as though it's like a boxing match where you're feeling each other out and they can get into a rhythm they can see what we're doing and that kind of, and I think you just it's a slight missed opportunity to just go hell for leather at them and I think we are capable of that and that would and of course the other thing that that feeds into is the important thing that you're more likely to get the first goal which is massive against these teams as well um but i don't i mean i don't know what you what do you think Wino? um do you think we're a, say, bit, I'd, I'd, a bit slow I'd prepare, on the passing i'd prepared a load of stuff on breaking down low blocks for the walls game and then didn't get to use it but the good thing about preparing stuff for a low block is you don't have to wait long <laughs> to use it again uh, you've got um, some other things to say about this ironically yeah. as well so this <laughs> end up being a long section probably um, <laughs> i think i think playing fast um only really works when you've immediately got possession or when you're playing out from the, yeah, playing out from the back. And, um, yeah, most teams now play a variety of systems, um, when, you know, at different phases of play. So, you know, Palace are, uh, three, four, three in attack, five, four, one in defense. And they're at the most vulnerable when they're switching between positions because players are moving between or maybe they're yeah. not at their full concentration there. Uh, but this is why you see teams uh, trying to crowd out the middle of the pitch to force you wide, to force you into positions where it's the long way around. I mean, this is the reason why we you know, we invert our fullbacks to force teams so they can't come through the middle because it's the quickest route to goal. You take you you force a player to play out wide; it gives you more time to get back into possession into position. Uh, this is why we see teams tactically foul us, why you see shirt pulls, why you see tap you know tapped ankles and all this kind of stuff is to slow us down and to stop us in those transitional periods. And I think once a team's got back into their set defense, it's very, you know, that pace, that opportunity for pace is gone. Um, so yes, of course we should be trying to play quick whilst the team's in transition. I think we do try to do that. It's just very difficult. And, you know, teams are good at trying to stop that and, and break it down. Once a team is settled into the, into the low block, I think that's when you do have to do, I mean, Ricky, we were on a pod earlier this year where we were talking about the kind of W passing that we were doing which yeah. is i think it's very different to what we used to see under potch where we were passing it across across the face of goal trying to look for something we are pushing and probing and i thought in this game i don't think this game was a repeat of wolves i thought we were a lot better and i think a lot of the things that we were critical of in the wolves performance and we were asking the team to do i think we were doing in this game and you know, the best we can with the players we've got available 
And that's, you know, a very, I think- that's a very important point. And this is one where I think we, we, we will all agree, uh, you know, look, for, uh, we, we never criticize a player for, for who they're not. You can't because that's silly. But, you know, Emerson is not Pedro Porro and, and you're going to and we lose a considerable amount and, without Pedro Porro because he's so important to what we do. So I and, think you're absolutely you know, but, right. Given who we at- have, it's a it's a big factor. And if you look at our wide forwards as well, I, mean, I think one of the things we've got to bear in mind is that we're still a team that's transitioning from having, from playing with the back three. So, yeah. you know, we're very lucky actually that, you know, Porro has adjusted from being a, a, a wing back to being a inverted full back so quickly. But, um, you know, Decky was, was, um, signed to play in the half space. You know, Sun's happier in the half space. Um, and, when you know in the system we're playing you know as we've talked about quite a lot we want them wider we want them to stretch the pitch so you're pulling out defenders and then that creates the space for the others to go into and you know against Wolves we were playing too narrow we compressed it the whole game was played in the kind of 20 yards kind of just outside of Wolves area you've got 20 players in that small little box there and it was very very difficult to get through I think in this game I think our shape was better um, I think we pulled them out, pulled them about. We were trying things, and I think it's difficult. You know, it is difficult because you get those snap chances, and there are a few of them in the first half where you know, I think Madison got crowded out. I think Sun got crowded out a couple of times when we got behind that line, and we and, and yeah. we, you know we couldn't do anything with it. Obviously, Werner had a great chance, and um, you know I think it was a good save by Johnston. And I think you know some of the criticism I've seen of it, I think, is a little unfair. Um, you know, I think. You, um, maybe other players would have done better. You know, Sun would have scored with that chance. But if if Werner had Sun's finishing ability, he'd be playing at Man City or Real Madrid. He wouldn't have come on loan to us and you know be with a fifty million pound option. You know, that's that's what he is. And um, so yeah, I, I think this was a lot better. Um, just one quick thing, actually, on your comment on Basuma. I think the ball carrying, um, the ball carrying is useful when a team is pressing you. Uh, because he, he draws in two or three players. I think when a team's back and in possession or in position, not so useful. And, um, because he's not drawing any players there, what you're doing then is actually leaving a gap for, to be countered. So I think actually he was showing a bit of discipline not doing that. Um, he did play, uh, I think the whole team played a little bit further up than we did against Wolves, but, um, he, you know, he's a little bit more advanced, but I think he, he's better off doing what he does, which is those kind of simple short passes and then giving it to Bentoncourt or giving it to Madison or, uh, who, who are better on the ball. But he had a lot. Romero's the only player who touched the ball more times in the game than Basuma. So, you know, and I think, you know, this is where he is really strong when he's on form. I think, you know, that kind of fulcrum, he's just he's just so good at that. Oh, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, we see what City are doing with Stones and I do wonder if in moments like this and in games like this, you know, Romero uh, taking on more uh, more of that uh, responsibility would, you know, would be, a, would be a great thing. I mean, he's he is so, I mean, it's interesting he had more touches than anyone else on the ball in this game. So, yeah, I mean, Romero, so um, Romero had 131 touches, Basuma yeah. 128, um, yeah. and there was had passes, Romero 124, Basuma 115. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they're very, very comparable figures. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. 
I think, um, I mean, the whole kind of low block as a tactic, I think teams go for it. One, because obviously they think, well, you're a better team than us. But I think it's true to say that defending just generally is easier than attacking, isn't it? I mean, scoring goals is the hardest thing. And I think if you close all those spaces up, then you're just a lot nearer to the attacking players so you can all help each other out quickly and that kind of stuff. But um, And also, I mean, as we've seen even today with the, with the, with the Manchester Derby game, um, no matter... No matter who's almost playing a lot a low block team, um, who's playing as the low block system, I think um, your team that's doing all the attacking has got all the possession still coughs up really good quality chances to the low block team, no. and they well, it, they usually. It, it's very interesting you bring up the Manchester derby because uh, uh, look, I know that Rashford's goal was good, and I don't want to make this a conversation about their fucking game, but the Foden goal was just outrageous that that first goal that equalizer brilliant i want us to shoot more yeah good a bit soon. more of that would be good <laughs> yeah. just just one thing though you know all of the talk about verner's chance which johnston saved was it yeah, really yeah. any was it really any worse than the one hoyland put over the bar from eight yards out and, and, you know an open Why? goal and you know eight the, yards? Narrative... That's generous <laughs> the, the narrative head that i don't know the narrative around players. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he's close to one goal in one game for since he joined yes. City. So, you know, not, not criticising him. Uh, but, um, you know, and they're op- Werner and Hoyland are opposite ends of composure in front of goal, generally speaking. But, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I think that the kind of narrative is, I find a bit frustrating around Werner. Well, I thought it's actually the same. And ironically, um, because it was almost a similar chance, but in the first half, De Bruyne put Foden through, didn't he? Clear on the right, yeah, and it was yeah, almost yeah. a very similar Correct. chance. It that. was Foden actually looked, a carbon Foden copy. No more confident. No more confident than Werner did yesterday with trying to finish that. It's a carbon copy uh, almost, Mm. isn't it? I know exactly what you're saying. But, uh, but, I mean, it it is interesting. It's probably, yeah, just to wrap up the first half, I think, uh, probably the, the thing that frustrated me the most again is that, you know, Take a dig, have a dig. We've got a couple of players on the pitch who can hit them from range and who have, you know, who have whip and they have curl. And that's even without Pedro on the pitch. I mean, you've got Madison, you've got Decky. These are players who can strike a ball. I mean, have a couple of shots, take a dig. I mean, you know, I'm, let's see. I mean, with low blocks, it's funny we talk about City because they're probably the team you'd think, well, if you've got to play against a low block, City's going to do the best job of it. Are, and I think, yeah. um, I think, I think we've said other weeks, I think, I think the two ways to, beat a low block is either a dribbly winger who can beat one two men and open things up that way but the other way is probably the way City would want to do it which is fast passing and actually the the smaller spaces when you're fast passing that flips on its head that's an advantage to a defender but when you're doing fast passes it's actually then an advantage to the attacker but obviously you have to be really good at that and Mm -hmm. and I suppose the ultimate example was Barcelona they just pass through teams and for fun because they had absolute maestros at passing and plus they had Messi who was a maestro at passing and dribbling past people so they had the best of everything but um and and that refers back to what milo was saying about the quality of players we've got now we can only do yes. what we can up to a certain level the only thing i sort of temper that with is early in the season we really did have some phases where we were playing as good a football as i've seen even since during the pot era we had some i think there's a like little surprise Chelsea game first thing minutes of the Chelsea factor. game destroyed them Probably but, a little surprise factor yeah, as well. Yeah, we were a little bit. Yeah, a bit no one, well. no one saw us coming at the beginning of the season. And by 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 Christmas, True. people are sort of like, oh well, we can do this and stop that. And, and that's what makes these victories a little more impressive to me. But anyway, and and obviously teams have had success from doing this. So um, you know, obviously you know this is Glasner's second game in uh, in charge of Palace. I mean, this is tends to be how his teams play anyway. I, mean, I said at the end of last week's pod, um, you know, this is what he'll do. Um, 
but you know he's he's not going to come to our place and do any different because you know this is his best chance of walking away with you know with anything from the game i think in terms of kind of breaking down the low block i mean i, I wasn't too frustrated i don't i didn't really see the need for taking pot shots i thought we were doing quite well even in the first half because we were creating chances you know well so maybe not creating chances but we were pulling palace around and i thought that if we kept going that we'd be you know we'd do okay you know we had so much you know it's not just you know kind of uh, uh, possession i mean it was 81 percent, i think in the first half but you know also dominance in terms of uh, territory we were moving the ball around I thought better than we were against Wolves and I mean the only thing I, I think we ought to maybe look at doing because we don't have someone who can stand up stand up a defender and beat them on you know d- d- down the line um I do, I do think that we ought to be you know maybe looking at um some routines that we can do there to try and pull players around and you know can practice those and then play a quick ball through into space um, uh, you know, when those opportunities come, but you know, there was there were signs of that. There were things that we were doing. You know, seeing similar patterns, and I think, um, yeah, go on. I think that was where I got a little bit frustrated with with uh, with Destiny in the first half because he's so good at that. He's so good at creating those little triangles uh, on the, especially in, you know, in the when you're tighter, tighter to the line. To as you said, we can't be, we don't have the player who can dribble around a man so you've got to create these moments with quick interpassing and so on and Destiny's so good at that and I think that that's one of the things Werner does have is he's got great speed hasn't he over short distance and there are a couple of moments he's making that move and you're just like just just go for it just go for it and it just wasn't happening so that happens again you know you can't be you know you can't be on your full game every week but yeah well we got through the first half and I think I, I mean I've got to say I thought it was actually just sort of Really unremarkable. It was a really unremarkable first half of football. I mean, I think that was as well because Palace really weren't a threat at all. Because I mean, we 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 kind of compare these games to the other ones, but I'd I'd feel someone like Wolves is a lot more of a threat of a team really yes, when it comes yeah. to counter. And it's not just, and you could say I mean, it's just Neto really, but it's it, they've got some other players as well. When Palace were really set up to not be that adventurous at all, and they were relying on maybe. Mateta trying to like you know just physical his way through at certain points but luckily you know well, we were, we were yeah, handling yeah. him to us you know oh I, I mean van der ven had him all game and as a matter of fact i thought Mateta pulled a couple of pretty dirty moves on, yeah. on van der ven it was a bruising uh, encounter wasn't it yeah. well i think yeah. the second half particularly when he pulled him over and rolled him on his shoulder i didn't i didn't right. think i thought that was, but anyway anyway Second I mean, half. I haven't finished on the first half yet. Oh, so I know. That was really <laughs> bad timing. Sorry, yeah. I've, 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 I've had my hand up waiting for you, waiting for you to finish. Um, Stop lettering, yeah. yeah no. Sorry. Um, I just, I'm just going to go back to that kind of, I don't think this was a repeat of Wolves. And I think part of the problem we've got is that there's a kind of pre-established narrative of how these low block games go. And I oh, think, yeah. you know, I saw a lot of talk during the game and at half time um, where you know, people were frustrated because, you know, we hadn't, hadn't scored. We hadn't broken them down. Um, but because we've had recent experience of kind of games like that, they, it was, you know, also people are talking about those previous games rather than this one. I think this was, you know, this was better than, than those. And, um, I think we just got to be careful about some of those, those narratives because they, they take hold. And I, you know, I, I was interested in, you know, Ricky, you were there. I was interested in what you were saying about, um, kind of the atmosphere in the stadium and you know whether there's any nervousness and stuff like that uh, you know I think we have to we have to be careful about this because if they these take root then it becomes it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy doesn't yeah. it because people start getting nervous about about something you know because they've seen it before they think they know how it's gonna how it's going to end and um yeah you, you start 
um, you start seeing what you think you're going to see almost. Yeah. Anyway, so, you go on the second half now. Go on. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will. Half time whistle's gone. Yeah. Well, I'll put, I'll, put, I'll put the sort of exclamation point to what Milo was saying about first half comments as I was making it. I noticed that Gareth and I both exchanged the word tedious uh, in our half time comments. So, anyway, uh, look, sort of to put this on our head. Um, put this on our head to put this on its head uh, when we talk about the second half i wanted to ask each of you if you had to pick a second half moment that changed things what would it be which is obviously a setup for something that i saw which i thought changed the second half but i'm trying to be generous and well, make a question why don't you tell us what you saw steph and then <laughs> go on why don't i just go full in on, instead of this baby i thought when i i thought we were i mean we stepped it up and we were pressing and pressing but i really did sense and Ricky, tell me if it felt like this in the ground. When Lerner, was it Lerma or Lerner? Lerma. Jefferson Lerma, our friend who was at Bournemouth, who, you know, got Sonny sent off all those years ago. Not my not my favourite player. Uh, when he two-hand shoved James Madison in the neck, and narrowly missing his face, pushed him to the ground, and Madison jumped up and squared up him and got angry. I just felt that the energy shifted like to another level. Like we were just like, right, tea breaks over. Let's fucking get this done. Did it feel like that? Do you agree? Is this a moment I've zoned in on and nobody else has noticed? Is this like... <laughs> no, I, I didn't see... I mean, obviously that translates to the crowd because we like, you know, any kind of little dust up on the pitch tends, tends to sort of rile the crowd up a bit, especially people more in that kind of location. But I wouldn't... No, I didn't get the vibe that... I think people were still... I think people are still waiting for the play to kind of um, jolt their enthusiasm up and get them out of their seat. They're okay. still waiting for that kind of thing. I think it helps, as you, as as you know, in a Roy King kind of way. You know, I thought, <laughs> like, I thought you know, you put I thought Madison in the crowd up and that kind of thing. I just thing, thought but... Madison ended up having his best twenty minutes of, uh, since since his injury. I mean, I just thought he completely took the game at that point. I think any atmosphere enhancement of the crowd is going to help because it, it needs lifting to then hopefully translate to the team. And if that if that gets a two-way street going, then I'm all for that. Okay. Mine was the obvious one, which was like which other players were doing, including our own players, which were slipping on the pitch. And it was the moment Anderson slipped, basically, which opened the door for us. Yeah. Mm. Let Johnson in. Yeah, I don't see a huge difference between the first half and second half. I, I thought that, yeah. um, you know, we're continuing with broad, broadly the same tactics. I think we were finding a bit more joy with them, particularly as Palace... Um, uh, tired. I think what turned the correct game around was our pressing. Um, and, you know, we talk about, you know, we talked about, um, you know, how we don't have a kind of 1v1 specialist. I think actually kind of the pressing was, was our answer to that because, you know, where, uh, Johnson, um, you know, pressed Anderson and actually the move actually started, you know, a minute or so before that where Decky had got in a tussle with him and, and beat him then as well. So he'd been under kind of a sustained period of, of pressure there. And Johnson, you know, where he wins that ball or, you know, wins that, that turnover and then kind of comes, you know, side in is exactly where we've been saying we need to get in behind a set defense. And, you know, Steph, you were saying about, you know, Werner's very clever uh, positioning and he, you know, kind of readjusted himself several times before the ball came across and he put it home. Um, so I, I think. For me, it, you know, the, the second half was a continuation of the first. We were doing it more effectively. I think Johnson certainly made a difference because um, you know, he was really, really tenacious in, uh, during that period. And then once we had that, we—I I think you know—it was very similar to the the Brighton and the and the Brentford games where we had a kind of ten, eleven minute spell where we just completely turned the screw on on uh, on Palace. We were, you know, we really, really pressed the advantage we had. And I think that's what, you know, really, really good 
teams do. You know, I think, you know, to talk about the Manchester Derby again, exactly the same. You know, City have been plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, plugging away, get an opening and then just hit it home, hit it home and really push it. And that's what I thought we did. So, yeah, that that for me, it was just that we did more on the same and it was the pressing that, was, that turned the game. Interesting, because, I mean, well, first of all, I think that, you know, shifting Decky inside a little bit and bringing Johnson on and having him stay outside, I think, made made a huge difference as well. I mean, it's, it, you know, you've got two players staying you know wide, like really stretching the pitch. And I actually, I've got to say, maybe I'm picking up on these moments and the, maybe it's just, maybe it's just who I am. Maybe this is how I watch football. But you talk about Johnson and we talk about the mistake and the slip. The Brennan Johnson that I've seen uh, several times this season has not showed that tenacity in the initial movement towards him to want to win that ball. He sort of like settled for what might be a throw in or the ball going out. It, he seemed to really like the bit got the bit between his teeth. He's like, I'm going to win this ball. And, and this is after having missed what I think was one of the easier chances that a forward can miss. So it didn't come to him too cleanly, though, did it? Because uh, Sonny's got his Sonny's got his back to him, so I, I think it's difficult to read that that ball's coming to him. I, I'd give him a pass for that first one. Well, whatever. If you give him a pass, that's fine. I'm saying I think, in my opinion, I think he should put it away. And I'm saying that both of these players, Werner and Johnson, you know, these are players who have had misses that you know many people in the stadium consider should have been goals for whatever reason. And you know, but it's not the miss, is it? It's how how do you react to that? And I thought Johnson's reaction. He's a confidence player. He reacted like a player that was going to double down and really make like, okay, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to make this happen. And I haven't seen that from him uh, too many times this season. Having said that, his assist and goal involvement figures for us are phenomenal. And it just yeah. gave me a glimpse that all that whole action for the first goal that, you know, gave me a glimpse into what this player can be. If he, if he plays with, if he plays with that extra little bite every week, he's going to be some player. Well, you know, the, the player who, Kicked Richie up in the air last season after Richie was kind of yeah, ball juggling at Forest. He's in there, you know. He's he's, yes, a, he's actually a, he's right. actually a spiky player. Right. I do wonder whether some yeah. people are kind of judging him, uh, you know, because he's got a sweet face because he looks cute. Kind of people are judging him on that rather than I don't know. You know, is there kind of uh, the body language experts coming out and kind of making assumptions about him? Sometimes I, he challenges for a ball and he just doesn't go for I, commitment. I, I, I would I would say that you know I think I think it's interesting actually because kind of you know my assumption around. Um, um, uh, you know, one 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 especially someone who can get past a player. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the two wide players that we've brought in under Ange are both very very quick, very very good pressers. I mean, Johnson is a good presser, and you know, we saw with that Anderson. Um, you know, the, the, the turnover for, from Anderson, which led to the first goal. Yeah, you know, both of them are you know quick pressers, and I do I do wonder. You know, I, I have to ask myself whether my my assumptions are, are right about this. And actually, what Ange wants is a front line that can press and turn over the ball. And that's how you get in behind a press or that's how you get in behind a, def- a defence. I think it's one to watch. You know, I mean, our interest yeah. in Noosa suggests that maybe, you know, there are other, you know, there are the, other strings that he wants to the bow. There are other options he wants because, you know, Noosa, Noosa is a, dri- a dribbly boy. But, you know, it, it's just a question I'm asking myself whether, you know, wh- whether I'm right on this. But, yeah, I, I think I think Johnson could be spiky. I think he's a really good presser. Um you know he's a bit slight, isn't he? But we've seen him stand up to you know bigger players before. I thought he was oh, excellent when he came on. I think yeah, yeah, two assists, two assists in this game. Yeah. So. Well, and again, I think, I think we talk about moments. That moment when he t- when he just decided, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna hustle for this ball. I'm gonna force the issue. But 
turning point. I don't want to, I don't want to, I mean, for persistence, I'll give him 100% in that situation. But at the end of the day, he wouldn't have got the ball if Anderson didn't slip. It was because he slipped that he then, he, he then took the ball off him. And then he knew, even after that, he had like a ricochet off the next player he met that then kept him going on. Yeah, but it's like analysis of a slip. I mean, if, if, if he's not pushing, maybe, maybe Anderson doesn't slip. I mean, you know. I think people were slipping all day. There's something wrong with the pitch, and you know, I think. <laughs> I think you have to bear in mind the the Decky challenge. Uh, you know, a minute before that, so I think Johnson's destabilised before that move because because it's been a sustained period of pressure, and I, I think that's you know that's the breakthrough. I mean, obviously, you know, the slip helps, doesn't it? But um, I, I, th- I think I think we forced that. Yeah, and I think you earn your ricochets. I mean, I know we did get a bit of luck with that ricochet, but I think you earn them, uh, Ricky. Oh, no, no, I'm saying I'm saying persistence, like... yeah. But I'm just, <laughs> it sounds like absolutely. you're thinking I'm being negative on him, but I'm not. I'm just reading the situation <laughs> as I saw it literally. So, I was going to say, all... I mean, th- th- that's every destiny was... goal this season, isn't it? Every every assist he's got is where he's kind of battered through someone, bounces it off someone's shins, and it yeah. comes back to him, and he kind of pins balls through, and then he gets it back. I mean, that's that's just how we are. Yeah, but great, great to see that. And then, uh, you know, let's, and let's we 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 touched on Werner many times already in this pod, but I, I do think, um, and I know you've got something a little more to say about this, Milo, and I think we're all going to be in agreement with it. Um, yeah, let's talk Timo Werner. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about his game. I thought he played really well, and I think there's a narrative around him um, about you know being his confidence, which I, I take issue with. I, I think I, I thought he played really well, and I think. Yeah, people who think he's a you know a striker, you know, a good striker who's out out of confidence. Um, I think are wrong. You know, this is this is who he is. He's had one really really good season in front of goal. The rest of them are you know pretty pretty similar. And you know, as I said earlier on, you know, if he had Sonny's composure in front of goal, then he'd be playing at one of the top clubs in Europe, and he wouldn't be with us. Um, and I also think people have a tendency to look at what players what players aren't rather than what they are. And you know what he is is yeah you know, I think this is the this is the curve of a, a player when they join a new club and I'm not, maybe not so much Werner but you know a player comes through the ranks everyone gets very excited about you know what they do do and they kind of go overboard on that and then they start start noticing the weaknesses in their game and they go overboard on that and then there's this kind of roller coaster isn't there Werner you know because because of you know, what happened at Chelsea I think people came he came in and people had low expectations for him and that's kind of coloured it a bit I think but you know he works really hard his pressing is phenomenal um I think him and Johnson have got a really really good relationship building there that's a, you know there's a few times this season they've linked up now and you know I mean I think Werner should have had a penalty on the 50 in the 52nd minute when he was brought I, down I could not believe how that wasn't a penalty how does how 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 is that a judge not a penalty yeah, well, I agree. I, everyone in the ground thought it was. I mean, obviously, you only get yeah. one look, but it because he even gave a corner, didn't he? I think, and yeah. he gave a corner, didn't he? And everyone was like, "Well, it wasn't a corner because the defender definitely didn't touch the ball." I mean, I've not seen it in replays. So I presume the defender didn't touch the ball, but it was almost like, "Well, I'll give a corner because then it makes it look like that the defender played the ball." Mm. And it was kind of like, "Well, that didn't yeah. happen." Yeah, <laughs> but no. But I think now Werner, I think he's, the thing I like about Werner is he looks like he's well coached, I think. And I think that what I mean by that is not not even just our club, but I, I get the impression with him that um, that he takes on board everything that mm. he's told in training. And he's very because I think he's quite an intelligent guy and he tries yeah. to put that into practice to the best of his ability. And I think that's like some of the things we've touched on there with his pressing and not just that, but his positioning and the yeah. runs he makes and stuff like that. And we're not really fully tuned into that yet, I don't think. And I think on that left side, he's very has a good understanding of what's required of him. And it sounds like 
or it looks like, um, that he listens to what the manager wants of him, I think. And a manager will always like that. And he's not short of effort, as we say, he presses, and he's not going to do anything. I think, I mean, without using the confidence word, I think he's just, I think that, you know, it, it's something like that will come. And scoring a goal the other day is definitely going to add to the confidence. And what we all need to remember, and we've said this other weeks, is that, yeah, people are through one-on-one, but we've just got used to watching Kane and Sonny, basically. And and you get used to that. You just think that's in the net. So, and I as, as some proved in the second half, you know what I mean? You just well, think, oh, Sonny's going to score equally, But equally... But no club our, has that. What other clubs our, have listen, that? Listen, our, our, let's put this to bed as well for a second. Our fickle fan base is only too happy to use Sonny like a trampoline when he's going through one of his fallow spells and missing yeah. one-on-ones and missing chances, yeah. which does happen. So so, you know, the best do miss them. I mean, Harry used to miss one-on-ones, but of course, the thing is, he got three or four a game and he put two of them yeah. away because yeah. he was that good. I, I, I agree with everything that everyone is saying about Timo Werner, and I get really, really sort of get a little downcast at the, uh, at the sort of almost confirmation bias that we've got a Chelsea reject that some yeah. people seem to think. And I, I just think it's completely, completely inaccurate. He suits our system. He suits what Ange wants. You talk about the shape and the, uh, and, and, and the movement, Ricky. I agree. There is, a, I think if the wavelength clicks a little more on that left, he's going to be devastating for us. He's going to create some tremendous chances. I, I fully back him to be a success for us. Fully. Yeah. I mean, he's got three goal involvements in six games. So, yeah, one goal, two assists in six games. That's that's decent. That's good by any standards. And, it's, it's, yeah. and, and, and I think you're right, Ricky, when you're talking about you know, his intelligence. I think he's holding his position well. And I think when I'm talking about you know how this wasn't a repeat of Wolves, I think part of that is because he's holding his, his position a lot better. Um, you know, and that doesn't crowd out... Um, Udogi, you know, Sun wants to be playing, you know, on the edge of the box, doesn't he? He doesn't want to be out there. And I think Werner yeah. you know, is smarter. And just as an aside, you know, I think, um, you know, we've got Villa up next. I don't want to do the kind of match preview now, but I do think that if Villa are playing their high line, particularly if, if Longley is playing, then uh-huh. Werner, Sun and Johnson as a front three, it could mm. be happy days. I mean, it's, mm. a, it's a crunch game, but if they play their high line, I'd be very, very tempted to start those three as our front think, line against them. I think that's one thing that's kind of colouring people's judgments against Werner. And this is just more, again, not used to the way he's playing. I think you doggy can learn a few better movements to interact with him. I think I that's on you doggy as well 100%. as Werner. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that's frustrating people is it looks like we have a lot of success from wing play when we have got people that are actually doing wing play. And I think when we have Decky on the right and Werner on the left, quite often, like especially in that first half, they'll do that kind of stop the ball, cut inside. And then what gets the crowd a bit anxious is it just looks like we're playing the reset pass you know, backwards and that kind of thing again. When I think people, I don't mind, I mean, I don't mind someone cutting inside if then let's say they're playing it into the next lane inside them to someone that's advancing. I mean, I mean, City do this kind of thing all the time. But once again, I mean, you can overall like have a realistic view, like Steph would like to say. I think we're seven, <laughs> we're seven months into this, you know what I mean? And we've, mm-hmm. and Werner's not even seven months into it. And Johnson's, you know, barely played as well. And yeah, I think. I- I think we've proven that looks like a good route to go. And I think Werner will go more in that direction the more he plays, I think. Just one thing, I'd say um, another Werner chance uh, and kind of things we were calling for in the Wolves game. Decky got outside um, of... um, I think it must have been his fullback. I'm not so sorry, I'm not certain off the top of my head, but he went round the outside of someone and then put in a cross with his right foot um, that went across and Werner shot and then Johnson put it behind for a corner. But um, there were 
glimpses of that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, look, uh, with that holistic lens on, um, you know, for me, this player has done more than enough to uh, to earn a spot in the squad next season. I think that we are, we would certainly also look for, you know, a, a wide left player, possibly more of the, the skill set that Milo's been asking for, maybe with a bit of dribble in him as well. But that doesn't mean that you wouldn't also have a Werner in your squad, especially if you're going to be in European football. He's going to be a very useful member of the, of, of this side, I think. And when those relationships keep, as they keep on building, um, it's it's going to be even better, and as as you just said, what three, you said three goal involvements and six appearances. Come on, yeah. Sorry, Come can on. I just pull you up? And you said maybe even with a little dribble in them. Uh, I want someone who's entirely dribble. I want the pure <laughs> pure dribble. Um, okay. And I, I don't I don't really I think preferably left, but it could be a right winger either. I don't think it matters. And uh, you know we just need that option in the in the squad. And as I said, you know yeah, this is partly but- because you know partly because we're transitioning from a back three and you know going to wear those players. Well, those players are it's just the kind of completing that squad rebuild yeah and and again I, I just i mean it just re-emphasizes that you know it's not an either or situation it's not like well we either get that player and don't oh no get, uh, uh, no i'm just saying I'm, I'm just making sure that everyone listening understands our our position which is well yeah you know, we like timo Werner, and we see what he's doing uh for, for for us we see where he fits into the system and if you lot who are still critical of him can take your, you know, your Chelsea goggles off for a minute and you get your, get your, you know, turn your hate valves down and look at what he's actually contributing positively because yesterday was as good an example as you'll see. I mean, again, you back a player. How do they react when they've missed a chance? They go and do some, what, what Timo did in the second half. So yeah, thumbs up for, for us, right? <laughs> yeah, I think kit. so. I mean, and, 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 the, and when you think of the buyout clause, even if we are, if we, even if we want to go for him, it doesn't really impact then going for other players as well, because we're not, no. it's not mega bucks out of a budget that we'll have. So, so we can go, we can go down that road all, route all we want and it doesn't affect any of our other purchases, I don't think. And he's of a good age for that because, you know, we could get a younger person behind him. Yes. And especially if we move Brian Hill on, which I think it's probably uh, safe to say we will. And Solomon. And Solomon. So anyway, that's a that's that bit of summer business done. We've just uh, done that for the clubs. <laughs> so get on board, everyone. Timo's going to be with us. But uh, can we can we just move on a little bit and just can we shower a little more praise on our two superlative centre backs again, please? Uh, you know, a, a question was asked in our uh, in our chat thread. I saw. I, I think it might have been Amar asking, "Do we have a centre back partnership that's close to Toby and Yen?" And uh, Milo, you replied with. You said whether they had potentially had a higher ceiling. They certainly do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for 100%. one, we've got we've got Van der Ven in a lot. Yeah, and both. Yeah, they're both very young for a start. But um, yeah, I thought they were both excellent yesterday. I mean, Van der Ven just mopped everything up, and um, you know, point. Romero is you know great on the ball, and I think just set the tempo for the game. Really, he was, he's so important to how we build up. Um, play from the back. Um, yeah, I thought he had a really good game. You know, I, I spoke earlier on about you know, the number of touches he had. Um, and yeah, I, I thought he was great. And, you know, obviously with the goal, I think, um, it was an interesting one actually because, uh, was it on, on 67 minutes, Decky put in a cross and Romero had a very, very similar header in a pretty much exactly the same situation. So again, I think this is probably something we've been working on. Yeah. I suspect that it's, we're missing Richie. We don't have that aerial presence in the box, so cutie push on. Um, but because it'd be, it's unusual to see a centre back as the furthest forward player in open play getting on the end of, you know, crosses 
you know, twice in the game. So this is definitely something we've worked on. It's definitely a plan. I haven't seen it before. So I'm assuming that it's, um, yeah, is Richie mitigation. Yeah, I think Van, I mean, it was a real warrior performance from Van de, Van de Ven, I think. So, um, cause he had real physical examination, as we said previously with Mateta. But, um, and I just don't think you could wish for a better last man defender than Van mm. de Ven. He's just absolutely excels at it. And the Romero goal, the thing I loved about it is kind of from looking in the south stand, there was kind of that little kind of lofted half folly from, um, Madison. So Very there was no cheeky. pace on anything, but, it, but you just thought, and when you saw it, when you saw it was Romero, you just thought, it was just the sheer will of Romero thinking that's there to be had. Do you know what I mean? I can get yeah. up there. I can beat whoever's in front of me. And he didn't, he just, and he directed it really nicely as well. It just dropped into that corner. And um, obviously he was delighted and we all were as well. I mean, he, he's, he's really, um, he's really fully, fully involved now. I think Romero with the well, whole kind of club I, dynamic, I think. I've got that very, vibe of him now, I think. I think it's very interesting. I mean, obviously, Van der Ven is an insurance for our entire side. I mean, even Crystal Palace yep. fans were remarking on their social media afterwards. I read one of them saying, you know, it's unfair that they have cheat modes like that on the pitch. I mean, <laughs> we've all been saying it. I mean, he was, but I mean, he does add, I think, an extra layer of um, of insurance for, for Christian to play his game. But, you know, I came across a statistic uh, recently. He hasn't been booked this year. I mean, I know it's early March, but that's that's not what nine weeks. I think we could generously say that he's gone now without a booking. He's made some adjustments to his game, self-professed, uh, albeit most of them are just like not getting involved in stupid shit, which are the involvement. But that's the maturity that you hope comes to a young player who you know and and who can see there's a fault in their game and is correcting it. And he's apart managed from, to do that without sacrificing from- his game. Apart from next week, there's one piece of stupid shit I want him to get involved in next week. Well, I want yes, him, to, we'll I want him about... to kick him over the whole end. Well, well, I, I, I don't disagree. I, I agree with that. And, uh, and yes, we should probably have, we could also have an, if we want, we could have a 10 minute spare pod about that, about how that should happen when. I, <laughs> I, I just, I, I think we should have a coffee bet, the three of us, on the, who's closest to the minute where someone kicks Matty Cash. Yeah. I'm going to think about that. And uh, because, so we'll, by the we'll time we get to the, the preview end, of the Villa at, game, at the end, I'll have yeah, figured we'll, it out. But, <laughs> but just put it in there. So who's closest? Should we, what, first, uh, first foul? Uh, will first we, foul will on we, cash? Is that what we're looking for? Well, it has to be yeah, a decent first, foul, though, really. First decent foul. It's going to have to be like the first. Some retribution sort of. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the first close to yellow foul. Yeah. And will we? And, and how many of us will cheer it like a goal? Um, <laughs> See, I mean, this is unfair if you're if you're judging it, Steph, because you never think that any of our players should get a booking for anything, and that any <laughs> the, the, someone breathes on us, and that's a red. And how dare Var not even uh, even look at it? So, we have our roles to play. I'll, I'll I'll smile and curtsy for that one, but it's not entirely true. But maybe a shred of truth at times. But uh, um, but. Yeah, but looking back to these, looking back to Christian, he just, it is so great to see him with this, with this, I don't want to say more mature, but should we say slightly more restrained edge? Because it's certainly not taken anything out of his actual physical game, has it? He was absolutely no. dominant. And as, as, as Milo said, when pointing out the figures, the statistics tell us what an impact he had on, on keeping us, keeping the tempo, keeping us moving, keeping us going, keeping us, and, you know, propelling. And it's, and, so, uh, it's so important when we're in, yeah, when our centre backs are in their half, and every you know we're talking about the kind of the ball going backwards, but you know they're so so important um, in that role, yeah. so key in setting the tempo. And I mean, actually, the third goal even comes from um, 
Van der Ven, Vic and Romero passing it back across them. We're trying, because obviously at that point, Palace have to come out at us. So, you know, when we're talking early on about why didn't Basuma do, you know, carry the ball out? Well, because there's no one pressing him. We're passing it across to pull them onto us. And then, um, you know, it comes to Van der Ven and Van der Ven, uh, the man comes onto him. He, he, you know, delays the move in order to draw, draw the, uh, the forward on and then jinks past him, goes through and, you know, passes up. I think it's to a doggy and the doggy loses the ball and then it comes to Johnson. Johnson uh, presses again. So, you know, both of Johnson's assists come from pressing, presses and puts the ball through for Sonny to run onto and score. But that comes from, you know, our back line being so composed on the ball and being able to play it across and, and draw them on and then play through. Well, look. Look to your point there. I, I mean, if if Bissouma uh, is going to f- be a foil increasingly in these moments, if Romero wants to push forward and carry the ball into the you know carry the ball to the opposition, I'm all for that. That's absolutely fine by me. It you know that would be that would be wonderful. I mean, because I think he's I think he's such a dominant character that uh, th- th- you know he he I think he's more than capable of doing that on a regular basis for us. And sure, you know, if someone can cover him as he does that, fantastic. All for it. But Okay, so we've covered. <laughs> let's talk about Eze's free kick for a moment. I've watched that again. I have my own view. Um, do you think it could have been dealt with better? I'll come in with my view in a minute. Um, uh, let's talk about this free kick, which I mean, it was it was a great strike. I mean, you can't take anything away from the strike. Well, I mean, the best the best way, the best thing we could have done there is not give it away, give the free kick away. I mean, that's, it was unnecessary. But um, I think. Vic takes a slight step to his uh, to his right before the free kick's taken, so he's a, maybe a little bit further away from it than he would be. I mean, by degrees. But I think once it's when it's right into the side netting like that, it's very very difficult to get to. It's played played with pace, and there's a nice little bend on it. I think I think it would be very difficult to get safe. I think it's always it's, people always call it a bit iffy when you when it goes in on the keeper's side. But I didn't really feel too bad about it I've watched it back once I think but I've not seen any kind of angles to see if it was kind of far outside the post and then curled in or anything like that I don't know if it did that but it was hit with pace as you say it, it you know the, the ball travelled at speed I mean I don't 100% about giving away the free kick I think was it Eze himself that was breaking free he was yeah yes. it was, it yeah. was. breaking and free I, and about to take a shot yeah and I think and I think so I don't really blame Ben. Players do do that quite often, commit foul in that case. And I think the one, a slight flaw in Romero's game sometimes, he does back off quite a lot sometimes when he's approached, as in if he feels like he's backpedalling. And I've seen that in previous games before when he does that. And I just thought maybe, as you say, he thought, well, if you're not, I don't know if then, was Romero drifting out to the right because there was another player there slightly? I can't remember what quite happened. I'd have to watch it again. But it wasn't it wasn't far off as a about to shoot, was it? So I think no. he just thought he'd do a clumsy foul. But yeah, yeah I, I think, I mean, I think, I think given that it's Eze, I mean, look, I think Eze's obviously, <laughs> here's, a, here's a revolutionary thought, chaps. Eze's actually <laughs> a very good player on the ball. <laughs> there <Yeah>. we go. <laughs> Cunning insight there. I mean, you know, look, I mean, the foul, I never like fouls given away in those positions. If you're going to give away a foul in that position, I would concede that when Eze's on the ball and looking like he's shaping up to strike, perhaps that's the moment to do it. I don't know. The one thing I will say about the free kick that I noticed when I watched it back is that Palace have put a second wall in place right beside mm. ours, and it breaks apart right before the kick's taken. It's very well. It's very. I don't know if well, it must be uh, a planned free kick, okay. but it does yeah. give Eze that space, just that tiny little place to put it. And I think that I think that's what throws Vic off is their second wall. I think we maybe we're a little naive in in, in how we shaped up their commitment to where stop they that. were shaped up. No, 
Yeah, but and, maybe, you know, maybe was, that's was, where you have someone behind to make sure if that wall breaks is, apart, there's someone. I mean, it's so easy to to break these apart afterwards. I mean, the bottom line is it was an exceptionally well struck free kick. Yeah, and and they it's do the go it, in. Really. Yes, yeah. and they yeah. do go in. <laughs> you know, I, I I I mean, anyway. So yes, maybe out there you think you could have done better with it, but I don't know. I mean, he's nicely struck. Uh, what do we think of Palace? Um, well, I said earlier, really. I mean, I, I haven't watched their other game. Was Glasner in, Glasner in charge for their previous one? Or was he in last, the last game? This was his second game, yeah. So Burnley oh, okay, was his yeah. first uh, game, which was a, a comfortable win, wasn't it? A 3-0 win. Yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the Burnley game. So I've only seen them, what I saw on Saturday. And I think, as I say, I can't really judge them beyond... As I say, Roy would have not done anything different, I don't think. So I can't see any changes for them yet. I mean, I don't... I, Palace were the right team, really. It was my grand, it was my granddad's team, so I've always got a yeah. tiny, well, not a soft spot for him, but I'll never kind of hate on them because he used to take me to Sellers Park quite a bit when I was little. So, um, uh, yeah, I think will they stay up? I think they'll stay up now. They've changed managers because there are well, there's two really terrible teams anyway, so it's not likely they'll get sucked into it. I don't think, but yeah, um, yeah, I thought I thought they were well organised. They're missing quite a few key players. Um, I watched Glasnost Frankfurt quite quite a bit so kind of knew what to expect um i mean he has changed things i mean they've moved to a back three from a back well back five yesterday but normally a back three uh from from uh roy's back four um and i think you know players they've got you know, a elise you know gay i think they've got quite a few who kind of will yeah. suit that setup and suit how um how glasner plays um you know i think you know we were linked with him he was one of the names in the frame yeah. when we were looking for a That's manager a last season and and you know i'm really pleased that that didn't happen i particularly didn't want yes. it at the time because of uh you know what we've been through with conte and, and you know kind of another uh manager who played with the back three and you know predominantly plays on the counter um uh you know would have you know the my remaining hairs that aren't gray would have gone very gray very quickly i think if we'd brought him in and <laughs> Um, but I, I think he's a good manager. I, I'm really interested to see how he does at Palace. You know, he's one of those managers that I'm interested, you know, I'm pleased he's not with us, but kind of interested to see how he does. Um, but it probably won't be too, th- too thrilling too often. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I really want Palace to be a, a better because I, I'm with you, Ricky. I, they're, a, they're a club that I, I, I don't know, again, like you, I don't know if I have a soft spot for them, but I just like them. I generally like, I, I, Sellers Park's a great place to go. Um, you know, I think that there's great support. Um, they've produced some great players over the years. Uh, I, I just, you know, they're, they're, they're a side who definitely should be in the Premiership. And, you know, I'd love to see them pushing for Europa League or, you know, Europa Conference, whatever. I just didn't think they were very good. I mean, that's the problem. I just looked at them. I thought this is, you know, I hope for their supporters, Glasner can bring some life because I, I don't see anything much to enjoy about being a Palace fan at this moment. Maybe now the anticipation that things will get better. I don't know. The other thing is, and it's complete, go on, you should, you should come in say, now because no, I'm about I mean, to make I a frivolous that, comment. No, so, okay. Well, I am, seriously. I'll, it's going to be I'll frivolous. be boringly serious for a moment and then you can make your frivolous <laughs> comment. Um, I, mean, I, I think they've got some really exciting young players who could quite comfortably play for any, play, any club in the league. And um, I'm sure that there'll be plenty of clubs who are very keen on signing, you know, particularly Elise and and Eze. I'm sure there'll be lots of clubs who who will be after them in the summer. And um, I think, you know, in terms of how Glasner plays, he's um, 
Yeah, he will play with the front three. He likes that kind of mobility in the front three, and he'll look for the midfield to be very, very direct. So once they get the ball, they'll turn defence into attack very, very quickly. Yeah, I say not dissimilar again to what we saw with Conte, but hopefully, uh, you know, more effectively. Uh, um, and I think with those, you know, with Ayu, um, Eze, and Elise, that could be really exciting as a, 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 you know, if they can get that movement there, if they can play those long balls for them to come onto. I think it could be quite, um, quite effective, quite exciting. Um, if they can keep that, if they can keep two of those can, players, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm thinking mainly about this season. But um, mm. you know, you put you put Gahey on the on the left of a back three. I think he's he's made for that position. I think he's a natural there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think um, yeah, in terms of this season, it could be a good fit um, if they get those players fit. I think I think Elise is out for a little bit longer, isn't he? I think he's out for another few weeks. Um, which means you know they're they're quickly running out of season to find form in, aren't they? But yeah, um, yeah I, it, I'm I'm interested to see how it develops. Like I said, anyway, you got yeah, a frivolous comment. Q now. Well, my frivolous my frivolous comment is just I'm I'm a little fascinated with Oliver Glasner physically. I mean, number one, he looks like Jason Bateman to me, so I, I immediately think of Ozark, and I sort of am trying to picture him as having been in that. He's like a, a mm. Jason Bateman, the actor. Anyone? Yeah, 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 yeah. Looks a bit like a. But also, I can't. He's another one of these managers who seems to have a disproportionately larger head to his body. Just <laughs> just looks sort of odd. He's a very odd looking man. I can't, I can't get any read of him as a personality from 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 the sidelines. There's no vibe. He just seems very kindly and sort of like, you know, almost scholarly. I don't know. He's a strange. He's a. Str- it just strikes me as a strange man. And I'm sure it's. Yeah, that's, that is a frivolous comment because obviously you don't I'll, manage in the I'll, Bundesliga. Um, you know, with I watched his post match interview to that be the first time I've ever heard him speak. So I watched that to get a little, you know, assessment. Yeah. Of what you said yeah, I, I just don't see him pulling up trees. Put it, put it this way. I, I was really surprised Palace didn't show some courage and stick with Patrick Vieira because I thought they were on the right track with him. I really did. Oh, no. And it, I thought that- it completely fell to pieces in the second season. Completely fell to pieces. So, I mean, I think, I think he had to go. Um, well, I, 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 I'll have to ask my good friend Dave Ling, who is a massive Crystal Palace fan, if that's the case. Just as an outside observer, I thought that, uh, that what it looked like he was doing is bringing them I, he, into, he, he into had, a new yeah, age. He had, of he had a good, he had a good first, se- uh, first season. Well, sorry, yeah, first season, and then it just completely, completely fell to pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah, and well, anyway. I, I mean, I think Glasner, I think Glasner's a decent coach. I don't think he's great. Um, and you know, I, I mean, when. <laughs> His European success with Frankfurt, you know, I don't put a lot of weight on cups as a measure of success. So, you know, I don't know, don't know about that, but I think he'll do okay. I mean, I think like, you know, I don't think he's going to pull up any trees. I think, you know, if he can keep Palace in, you know, if he can can get Palace to mid table um, finishes, then that will be considered a success because that's what their benchmark is. And that's that's sort of the sum total of him. He seems like a very good, efficient, modern coach. That's going to, as you said, kind of, he's going to, you know, he's going to get you across the line. He's going to get you across the lines into a space where you can be comfortable. Yeah, I think they'll be be difficult to beat. And, um, you know, if they can hold on to their good players, um, prove a threat. I mean, actually, over the years, they've done pretty well at holding on to their good players, haven't they? So, um, you know, you don't get players cheap off Palace, do you? No. No. Uh, so uh, anyone uh, out there who has a Crystal Palace supporting friend, if they want to hear the definitive Oliver Glasner <laughs> podcast, please tell them to tune into the previous five to ten minutes where they'll get the intellectual and football side of it and the completely frivolous, nonsensical view of Oliver Glasner. So anyway, um, 
Anyway, one positive and one negative uh, about about the game against Crystal Palace, champs. Well, I'll go first then. Um, so, so, silence is uh, it's just an invitation to call me in. It really. Um, my positive <laughs> is Werner and Johnson. Um, they're building a really good re- uh, relationship, and I, I, I like it actually. I think it's good. Uh, my negative is I, I'm going to go back to the, kind of that that narrative am- uh, amongst some of our fans around. Um, kind of breaking down low blocks and um, yeah, maybe the narrative around Verna. My negative is narrative, so I'm very much against them this week. <laughs> that's your well, narrative is- for the week, is you're against yeah, narratives. That's right, yeah. My narrative is I don't stand for oh. narratives. <laughs> that's life itself, I think, full of narratives, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, We're getting uh, existential. Ne- I love it. <laughs> my negative is, um, well, obviously I don't know the outcomes of this, but on the old um, stadium injury watch, I think... Uh, Van der Ven was very lucky. I mean, it took a good five minutes to go down. He was struggling with that ankle at the start of the game for quite a long time. I'm glad he looks like he's got over that. Um, Sarah was getting treat- treatment after the final whistle with our physio. And Brennan definitely was struggling with a foot ankle thing for the last 10, 15 minutes out on the left there when he switched to the left. So keep an eye on that. Hopefully none of, nothing comes to that because injuries are... Well, they killed us for most of the season. Let's hope they don't. Uh, the positive is um, it was good to get a win just to keep um, keep the wheels turning, really. I think um, we're, we're not far off two points a game. I've always said I hope we kind of achieve that. I think if we did hit two points a game, that's 76 points. I can't see how that won't get us fourth or fifth. And, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic about that. But, you know, I'm a realist as well. I mean, to be honest, I mean, we'd have to really sort of have a terrible dropping form to drop out of the top five because I can't see anyone behind us who looks remotely. And fifth is looking good, good for a Champions. Le- fifth looking good for a Champions League spot at the moment as well. Yeah, not. I th- yeah, I think I, I, I saw something around the kind of permutations with that, and I think because I think Italy were top, weren't they, in the mm. current league of coefficients for this cups this year, and we were third, I think. But maybe. But I haven't said that. City are going to go deep. Liverpool are going to go deep. Arsenal might go deep, and Villa, yeah. you know, in the Conference League. So yeah. I can't. If we lose fifth, then I would be disappointed from this point. Oh, I mean, obviously, oh, oh, it was only about Eric, this game. Don't you'll get your but don't let's not go do, do Mally there. He's, no need he's for borrowed that. Gareth's big nutshell, isn't he? And um, <laughs> big nutshell has passed on. They're very well, very well observed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my, posi- my positive is that I think we are, I, I think this is precisely the way that Manchester City win football matches of this nature. Mm-hmm. They just, they just find the way to do it with the system that they play. And, uh, you know, that we did precisely that. Um, so it was quite a perfunctory win in the end, but it was quite satisfying because it should fortify the belief amongst doubters that we will get the job done in these games. So, yep. you know, and that when we don't get the job done, it's not because of them, it's because of us. <laughs> that's that's the key. This week, it, we won it because of us. We didn't lose it because of us, you know. I think that's a really important thing. Um, I, I'm sort of on I'm, – I'm going to I'm going to piggyback off Milo's negative, actually, and uh, I'm going to use it as, as, a, as an example to maybe put out a dialectic that I think is really important for people to understand. And I'll use Timo Werner as the example. You know, some people say, you know, Timo Werner, you know, he missed that goal, you know, but this and that. I would say, you know, Timo Werner missed a chance – and he's a really good player who ended up having a really good game. That that that's a that's a lesson in dialectics for anyone who doesn't know. It is possible to miss a chance that looks easy and still have a great game, be a good player, and actually, in his case, score a goal and have involvements uh, in others. So I agree. People just need to sit back and and be more appreciative of where we're at after seven, what eight months. Down with narratives. Down with narratives. Down down with boring. Uh, 
pre-baked narratives that show yes. that show no mindfulness. I agree. Yeah. Yep, I agree. Down with narratives. You're right. Right. And being someone that could be spiraling off into another narrative, I'll be cut off now and uh, the week get into watch, the week Just run us through that quickly. <laughs> just run us I'm through and see how quickly start... we can get through it. Yeah, okay. Well, um, <laughs> I'll start with some good news. So goal and save of the month. Richie's wonder goal against Everton has been nominated for February's Premier League Goal of the Month, and Big Vix has been nominated for Save of the Month for his goal line clearance in the same game with his feet and legs from Ben Godfrey's header from six yards out. Um, it's the sixth time in seven months that Vic's been nominated for Save of the Month. Uh, voting is open till midday on Monday the 4th of March, uh, so get voting and give the people what they want. Steph. Now I've got to jump in. We forgot to mention something fantastic about yesterday about the game Um against Palace that was Richie not only celebrating with Romero off the bench he meant to be injured but also celebrating sporting that fantastic pony shirt <laughs> from retro shirt from the late 90s which uh, I just I don't he rocked know. it he, yeah he looked great he looked um, brilliant didn't he? he looked excellent football London awards so uh, whilst we're talking about picking up gongs Ange Postacoglu was named manager of the year and uh, Vicario was uh, got goalkeeper of the year in the 2024 football London awards this week so just a question for you how pissed off do you think Mikel Arteta must be that seven months of Ange is worth is celebrated more than twelve months of touchline histrionics? <laughs> was um, was Arteta there, or was it only the gong wingers? Uh, the gong win- winners turned up. Yeah, he, he sent the he sent the dog winner, or what's the, what's the dog called? I can't remember. He sent the dog along instead. I think <laughs> oh, he must have been well bitter. <laughs> Um, fixture changes. So we've had th- uh, three uh, fixture changes announced for April, so they can be shown on the telly. Uh, West Ham is now an eight fifteen kickoff on Tuesday, the fifth of April, which must have delighted the Metropolitan Police. Nottingham Forest has been moved to Monday, the eighth of April, which I know did not delight Steph. Uh, and Newcastle is now a lunchtime kickoff on Saturday, the thirteenth of April, which won't have delighted anyone who's ever tried to get to Newcastle for lunchtime. Delightful, eh? It's ridiculous. Like people complain about a, a, a resurgence in hooliganism at, at football. And so they pick West Ham away midweek and they make it later, give people more time in the pubs. I mean, what? what they, it's absurd. Uh, just absurd. Yeah, I mean, I was not happy with this fixture shift. And look, I mean, I said this at the top of the show. For me, this just increasingly shows how unimportant travelling supporters are. You know, I know people who booked flights for the forest game they couldn't change right i was able to change mine i know several people who planned trips that's a couple of grand that they've laid out that they've now either got to get credit for or may or in some cases won't get but you know who cares right who cares well i care (laughs) yeah and i i I think they've got to start announcing these changes earlier so when people are looking to buy tickets that's you know when you buy a ticket you ought to know when the game's taking place yeah, I I think that's a very fair minimum requirement. <laughs> to be honest, it's sort of like buying a fridge and not knowing when it's going to be delivered. Yeah, because yeah, I think they've they've already shrunk it down a week this year, haven't they? From six to five weeks that the yeah. deadline is, I think, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So they just, just tell us the day play, before when the game's on. <laughs> it sort of all plays into the next news item, which you're going to get into. Uh, yeah, was, yeah. So. The, the fan advisory board met on 19th of February and uh, the not particularly illuminating minutes were released last week. Uh, Donald Maria Cullen was the only board member in attendance. On the agenda was the installation of the Bill Nicholson Gates in the area between Percy House and the ticket office. Confirmation that the club's financial statement will be posted before the end of this month. Um, that the club will carry out a survey of season ticket holders on increasing safe standing capacity. Um, and ticketing and ticket pricing, uh, with the club committing to publishing a ticketing charter, and we'll consult on the supporters' trust on ticket prices, and we'll discuss them with Fab. 
I was told this afternoon that there's rumours are that there's going to be an announcement on um, on next season's ticket prices or announcement tomorrow, um, which you know, saying here that it says that they're going to be consulting with the trust and we'll discuss it with Fab um, calls that into question. Um, no sign of the ticket charge. I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, but it kind of flows into what I was going to say anyway. You know, I don't know you know what you think, but I feel that we've ended up in a really difficult place as supporters um, and our channels into the club. Uh, Martin Cloak and Cat Law's piece for the Fighting Cock uh, on the Fighting Cock uh, website the other week uh, about what's gone on at the Trust since they stepped down struck a chord with me. Um, and we've discussed the rumoured uh, NDAs that the FAB members are uh, bound by on this pod before. Um, you know, the club are controlling communications. They hold they hold the pen on the minutes for FAB and, and also hold the pen on the minutes for the Trust, which I know Kat and Martin had fought hard to make sure that they controlled communications coming out of the Trust on those discussions. The club controls them now. And I think this kind of neutered our voices and those of our reps. Um, and I don't know what the way forward is. You know, we've got FAB reps. If they've signed NDAs, they can't talk about what's going on in those meetings. How do we know, you know, we voted for these people. How do we know you know, what they think, you know, whether they represent our views, any of these things, it's impossible. And I think they're putting those people in an impossible position if that's what's happened. Um, I'll get down off, off my soapbox now, but I, I just want to know, I want to get that off my chest really. And uh, yeah, what do you think, guys? Um, what do I think? I think the trust themselves in the first place did, on their part, they did put themselves in a little bit of an awkward position yeah. regarding recent events over the last two, three seasons. I think they could be said will be on their remit, overstep their mark on what they could be asking and could be saying to the club. Uh, on the flip side of that, especially from um, Martin and Kat's point of view, um, I would be rightly concerned about the trust and what's going on with it at the moment. It takes, uh, undoubtedly, this is what people need to remember, it probably takes untold dedication to run something like that because there's a lot of nuts and bolts and bread and butter stuff yeah. to do every day looking after our supporters in all kinds of situations so it's a shame that it's a shame that i don't know i don't know whether the talking about narratives earlier i don't know if the trust were too reactive to narratives that they found or were yeah. linked with or part of through social media crowd and i think they might have done themselves a little bit of a, a mischief following that kind of like to a certain degree and it's if it's got us in this position now i think the fab thing i mean you're right about the non-disclosure agreements unfortunately i would expect the club to expect nothing else apart from that i wouldn't think they would let things be as open as they would want it to be the only hope we've got is when the independent football commission comes along they might put some guidelines in to say this is the way you have to run things and follow things and it looks like we as a club have tried to look good to get ahead of that curve but really what we've done as a club and our relationship with support is is to get ahead of that, but on our terms a bit more. And I just, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a bit. No, I think it's a great, that's a, it's a very interesting summation you've given there because I do think, uh, you know, if you're representing supporters as, as as a trust, I mean, you know, you're going to want to represent views, and I I think it's very hard to hold an emotional logical line, especially given you know mm. the club was in a fair was in a fair old mess. Uh, you know, on the football side for sure, coming into the summer. So, you know, they're quite rightly pushing forward some some questions and some concerns of the supporters. I just, I wonder from the club, what I can't figure out is from the club's perspective, whether there is sort of like a long-term, you know, sort of like Darth Vader-esque plan to neuter the fan voice completely, or whether it's just sort of fallen into their laps. I don't know. There must be delighted either be way. a bit of a... What's that? So they must be delighted either way. It's, yeah, you know, I mean, they, they... It, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't know how much of this is planned. I mean, NDAs, I'm not a fan of NDAs. As you said, Ricky, most corporations will have them. 
I think that there are ways you can write NDAs that allow people to still express opinions without betraying, you know, yeah. important financially impactful uh, details. I think you can tailor things to that. I, you know, I think flatline NDAs are, 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 are sort of a, I don't know, they're an easy way out, right? So I think there could have been a little more work done on that side. I mean, it just does feel that the club have been presented with this situation they can take advantage of, and they're going to take advantage of it. And I don't know if it's an emotional decision or, or what it is. It's unfortunate. I, like you, uh, Milo, I don't really know where the way back is. I think it just needs another whole re-engagement of communication to point out to the club, look, you know, we understand the need, for example, for an NDA, but can we not tailor this a little bit so as we can at yeah, least – it's, it's going to take that, and I don't know if the club want to engage in that. I, I mean, I agree, I agree with Ricky. I think the only way this changes is, is if the regulator says these are these are how fan advisory boards work because the club aren't going to volunteer that kind of stuff up. No. Um, I mean, it would take no. a sustained pressure. And I think, um, you know, in terms of the trust, if, if if there is an announcement about ticket prices going on and there hasn't been the um, the cons- consultation that they said they're going to have, um, the problem is, is the trust kind of marched everyone up on a hill on this and then didn't turn up to their own demo in the summer before the Man United game, you know, where they're staged in the protests. Yeah. And, um, and Thula, the, um, who was the ticketing trust, who was the lead at the trust uh, on ticketing, um, you know, resigned over this. And I think, I think kind of the lack of support they showed her was, was really poor. And I thought she'd yes. done quite a good job of trying to pull together the different factions of the fan base and actually say, yep. you know, this isn't about Levy out or Enoch out or anything like that. This, this is about, you know, this is actually standing up for support and it's broader than that. And I, I think it was really difficult to try and pull those groups together and then to be let down by the other trust, trust, trust members or the trust board um, who were talking big but then couldn't be asked to get off, you know, turn up to their own demo, I think is disgusting. And I think it's, it, yeah, it's I, made it, it – and I think it's made it very I difficult. I think it's made it very difficult for any of us if if, if we're about to have hikes in, in prices, how we can actually meaningful pro, meaningfully protest because I think it's very, very difficult to get support for that after what happened earlier this season. I, yeah. I I think that's a that's an excellent overview. And I mean, look, I mean, playing devil's advocate for a minute. If you're the club and you saw some of the hullabaloo that was coming at you uh, uh, previously, and you get an opportunity to shut it down, you will. I mean, that's yeah. that's that's just natural instinct. I, Whatever I, anyone yeah. wants to opine of it, it's going to happen. So you know, I, I yeah, I think you're, no, I, think I, you're, I I agree with that. I mean, that's what I was sort of saying before. I think. Um, they done an absolute solid job before, and that's probably what's disheartening at the moment with the way the trust is working. But I think they just got caught up a bit too much on the emotional yeah. side of things. Yeah. And I know that is massively prevalent in football now. And but some of that emotion is misguided because it's just the noise that goes on week to week with the thing. And and I agree with what you're saying, playing devil's advocate, Steph. It's just if I was a club, I would have been like, I'm on limp. You're at arm's length now. You, you, I, you know, I don't like that. I don't like the way you're talking to us. And obviously, you could say, "Well, you're a big corporate company. You would be like that." But yeah, I would be. I might be like that if I run a company. I don't want to answer some I mean, of the Dev- questions and the stuff you're throwing at me. And well, Devil's you know. Advocate would also say that you know your members of your of in, in, you know, immediate uh, business infrastructure are being personally threatened. So you will obviously not want that voice out there again, will you? So I mean, it, there, there's so, there are so many strings and, and so many ways of looking at it. But I think both of you have probably uh, put it in a nutshell as well as it could be put. And I agree with <laughs> you, Milo. You know, marching people, yeah, but people not showing up to their own. To, to your own, you know, process. It's unbel- It's unbelievable. 
it's really poor how that all went down. So if the if the rumours are true about an announcement tomorrow, no doubt we'll come back to this next week. Yeah, um, yeah. Mason King and Yusef Akhamrich, under eighteen year old players, um, have signed uh, their first professional contracts for the club. Uh, Mason can play both at centre back and left back, and Yusef can play either on the wing or at left back. Both players played a part in the squads that won the under-17 and under-18 Premier League Cup uh, last season. Um, and they got a mention on our pod last week when we were talking about the academy as they both featured in the under-18 side that narrowly lost to Man City. It's good. Excellent. It'd be nice having, well, a, uh, having a central defender with King on their back in a few years' time, won't it? It'll be, it's been a while. He's got the right surname, hasn't he? Yeah. So if he can be half as good as that chap. Then, yeah. uh, half as good. But by the way, anyone who hasn't heard the Aaron Lennon podcast, uh, the Spurs podcast this week has Aaron Lennon on it. And uh, if you want to hear an appraisal of Ledley King, listen to, listen to what Aaron has to say cool. about him. I mean, he gets into it a couple of times. Thanks, lads. That was fun. Uh, we'll be back next week to chat about our game away at Aston Villa. Uh, Milo's already put the stakes on who's going to kick Matty Cash first and how loud will we cheer. Um, it, it's, a, it's a vital game. Uh, let's. Uh, I, I guess I made a bet with uh, Gareth about tea. Did I? You did. Crikey. Yeah. I don't know. Betting everywhere. I don't know. I'm sure I bet that we finish <laughs> above them. I'm sure we bet we I bet that we beat them. But hey, a massive, massive game, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. we'll be back next week to talk about it. And as always, we'll catch up with everything else that's been happening in N17. So thanks, chaps. Thanks very much indeed. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, mate. And we will see you all next week. <laughs>